edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. And joining me this evening, um, very uh, fortunate to have her here. Uh, she's a radio DJ with 88.9 Radio Milwaukee. Um, she uh, fronts uh, the garage punk band Skucks, which has a record that came out about a little over a year ago. It's called Cootis. Did I say that right? actually cooties in latin <laughs> cooties excuse me um very fun record go listen to it uh she's a shark enthusiast um she's lived in alaska she's lived in new zealand um she's uh had a lot of roles in the music industry has traveled a ton and uh very excited to get to know her and her passions are she why she does what she does Aisha Jaffer, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me on the ultimate nice guy show. Ben is like one of the nicest people that I've met in Milwaukee so far. Oh, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna get me all bashful over here, you know? You know what? Your name is my favorite name to say in Kiwi speak, because Ben is Bean. So you're like, Bean. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's nice. Um, well. Uh, just, Aisha, how's your day? How are you doing? Good. I just finished, of course, uh, our radio show. We haven't, we've been doing the membership drive, so we haven't gotten to, um, which was so much fun. It's my favorite time to do the membership drive because it's the only time I see my coworkers at 88.9 who wildly, you know, I've been getting to know very, very slowly since it's been a pandemic almost the entire time that I've been in Milwaukee. But, um, I just finished my radio show for the first time in two weeks because I've been away for uh, a knee surgery and it was, it's fun, but it's super surreal to do it right here in my house. Even yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's nice. Cause yeah, you, uh, usually it's a matter of just moving like 20 feet um, <laughs> and getting set up, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. So you did it today. I did it today. Yeah. I'm the worst though. If I, I don't have like, I think it's better for me to be in the studio because then it's like, you are focused on this radio show where I live above a bar and I get super distracted like all the time. But today, for some reason, I was just so excited to be back on the air that I just um, creamed through it. And I love answering text messages. I think that's so unique about 88.9 is we get to interact with people directly. And I try to urge people to text me because I love, I love knowing who's listening and texting back and seeing what they like. And so I love that. I love that, you know, you are so like ready and willing to engage with listeners on a personal level, which, which is really easy to do in Milwaukee. Um, it's, it's, it's because of like the, the, the small city complex, like it's really easy to make friends, but you're also always interacting with and engaging with new people too. And, uh, yeah, the, there's, that's why I never run out of guests because there's so many people to talk to. Yeah, and that's awesome. I envy you for that because actually I find it the opposite. I've actually had a harder time um, finding people in Milwaukee. I don't know if there's a barrier being a radio host, but for me, there is none. Like everyone is my peer, but I'm also so new to the city in my head still because I think it was only four months and I know Milwaukee, it's winter months, which maybe doesn't count for some people, but I don't mind being outside in negative whatever weather. Um, but then it was the pandemic straight away after that, but I've still been able to connect and the people I've connected with are the Milwaukee musicians that have been able to help through the station. And that's been really, really 
a lot of fun and really um, special and cool to me so far. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's great. Um, it's great that, you know, they're embracing the station at this time um, because a lot of folks have been dropping a lot of music lately um, over at Breaking Entering. We have had no shortage of uh, things to get through every day. Um, so some people are in creative mode right now. Some are not, depending on just how you're navigating these, you know, uh, chaotic times. But either way is, is you know, either way is fine. Um, what, what did you uh, talk about on the show today? Um, today, it was, it's, I like to talk about national holidays because of the silliness of them. And it is national international day of the nacho not nacho day day of the nacho so we talked about that um and also talked about back to the future day because today is back to the future day which is the day in which marty mcfly and doc brown um flew to the future in the delorean in to 2015 specifically on this day and I'm a huge Back to the Future fan. I waited three years for an exact replica of my hoverboard. I still haven't taken it out of the box because I'm too afraid to. <laughs> so like, I'm a big nerd. <laughs> we love to see that. Yeah. Love it. Um, yeah. and what a what a great franchise to nerd out on too. I actually haven't seen those movies in probably since like middle school, I want to say. Oh man, today's the day, Ben. In fact, if you want to see the hoverboard, it's like right behind me. I can pull it out. Oh yeah, please do. I'm a nerd, so I'm going <laughs> to... Love but, it. But I mean, like I talked about that and I also talked about, you know, our appreciation of um, the listeners because we wouldn't be a station without them. And truly it was our hardest drive yet. And, um, you know, I'm starting this and now I'm like, should I stop this? But we'll see. We'll see how far I get. But um, really just a lot of appreciation. And of course. <laughs> oh, no. That was a sound. It was a sound. Um, appreciation of the listeners, but also for people to go out and vote. Because yeah. Milwaukee is so important in this election. Oh, oh yes. my goodness. I really, so I haven't opened this in like years. And there's like a, like a. There's like a situation around. There's like a furry blanket in here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I'm so honored that you are uh, showing us your hoverboard live here on Mr. Nice Guy. I have a rug uh, now. I didn't know I had a rug, but now I, I have a rug. Hey, there you go. Here it is. It actually hovers too a little bit. Yeah, that's. That is pretty cool. If you're like me, this is it. Oh my god, that's awesome. That where'd you um where'd you get that? I don't even remember because it was many years ago that it went up, and then I just waited in the wait list for three years, and then I bought it. Wow, that's that that that's some patience for sure. <laughs> um, you were probably pretty uh ecstatic when you found out you were getting it. Yeah, it's my nerd coming out party right now here on uh, Mr. Nice Guy. Love to see, love it so much. Um, well, uh, well, I'm excited to nerd out with you uh, because um, you, I mean, as we have been talking about, you have uh, had a lot of really interesting and uh, um, 
just like fascinating uh, roles in your life. So let's so let's get into it. What we talk about on Mr. Nice Guy, we talk love and fear, passion and creativity. And so I knew who you were like essentially from like I think it was the '88 Nine uh, Awards last year. Like I, I saw you like up there on stage and. Um, and like I've known some of the folks at 89 for some time now, like Justin and Kenny and Aaron, um, of course. But uh, I was excited. I I was excited to like actually get to know you because like you just seemed like a really like bubbly and vibrant and just fun person to like share space with because like you obviously, I mean, I can tell from listening to you and watching you interview bands that you genuinely like love your job and are genuinely curious about like what folks from the community like have to say and share on the airwaves. And I admire that drive a lot. So um, we met and got us uh, coffee uh, and we sat in the station and just like hung out for like an hour. Um, and that was like right before the pandemic started but it was also when we first talked about this happening. So long time coming. You want to start with where you grew up, Aisha? Well, hometown is Milwaukee. So Milwaukee home. I was born on the north side. Um, my dad was an immigrant from Uganda. And he was, he had the choice between New York City. His story is too long, so I'm not going to add that. But you can ask me personally, and I will, I will share that amazing story. But um, he was hosted by a family in, hosted by a family, and then he got his own place. He like worked himself up from the ranks and um, lived on the north side of Milwaukee. So that's where I was raised. And then he eventually became like the number one car salesman in Wisconsin and like built his life up for uh, our family. And we moved to the suburbs and he built what was like the American dream so we could have a better life. And um and that was like good and bad for us because we're in a neighborhood where no one looked like us, but like, it, you know, we were given things that he didn't have. And it was just a really, an interesting upbringing because I'm biracial, I'm, I'm Indian and I'm French. So I've got an interesting um, dual perspective and, and also like inclusive and, and not included in, in my own people and this anyway that's like a whole other detail my brain has thought about this a lot we have too much time to think in this pandemic but yeah born, born and raised in Milwaukee so I grew up here and if you want to just know my map I guess over the past um wee while it's been Milwaukee and then Chicago for Columbia College Chicago I went to I was a valedictorian um, of the university there and then I popped over to New York City because I'd always want to live there and work there and then that's when I went up to New Zealand. And then I toured the world for 10 years and then LA and then Port Townsend, Washington, then Alaska, then back to New Zealand and Tasmania, then back to Milwaukee, then back to Alaska, then to Milwaukee. <laughs> so that's, that's my map. Yeah, so you've, you've drifted all over time zones. Yes. I like saying I'm writing from the future when I lived in New Zealand. It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> basically were <laughs> um yeah uh damn so like how long have so you you've only been back in Milwaukee like this time for what like a little over a year or so yeah like one year one month if that 
Yeah. What were you doing in New York when you were working? Yeah. Do you want me to kind of go through the like the music? Yeah. History? If you would. Yeah. I can easily do that because it starts with Milwaukee. Because Milwaukee, I was throwing shows at the age of 13. Juicebox, in fact, was in a lot of my shows. So it's so oh, cool yeah. to see that he's still freaking rocking. Yeah, um, I have like shirts of bands like you could not imagine from that time. But I threw shows at like Shorewood Legion Hall at VFWs. I think I did stuff at Turner. And I can't remember this venue in West Dallas, but I used to throw there and they let me throw an event every month. And I made at that time, back in the day, when I was 13, I'm 33 now, um, so it's 20 years ago, I made $1,000 for a battle of the bands. And I think that I'm, I was smarter then than I am now because I figured out how to do sponsorship. Pizza Shuttle was a sponsor for the base pizza at the time. Um, how to book bands, how to book a sound guy, door guy. I sold baked goods and drinks and had like security and stuff. As a 13 year old, I somehow figured that out and excelled and loved it. So bands were my life then. And I also played in bands. Um, there was like a teen center that I used to go to that was like all punk rock kids. And that really helped me like fuel my music stream. So, so one of those bands actually linked me when I went to Chicago to Victory Records. And so Victory Records in the day, if you know emo music, it was like Hawthorne Heights, Taking Back Sunday, The Refused were all on that label. And I was the promotions intern. So I... I progressed there and my, I totally had, I still, I now in the pandemic, my bangs have grown out and I'm emo again. So. <laughs> you're so, you're so moody. <laughs> so moody all the time. Uh, always dark. <laughs> I have a whole like three trash bags. I just moved out of my, I took, my mom sold our home, like our childhood home. And I found three trash bags full of emo shirts and I was gonna just throw them into goodwill but everybody went up in arms about it so they're just like in my house right now up for grabs but I'm gonna I'm gonna post them at some point for people's joy but all the classics from from working at Victory um and from there I then got stolen because I work at Columbia College, all the professors work in the field first. And I wanted to throw big parties, big events. I was known in the underground at that point in Chicago for this lingerie loft party where we used to do like map points and it was mailing lists. And a thousand people would come in and they would check their clothes at the door and then they would dance the lingerie loft party. In fact, French Horn Rebellion was one of the first artists. And it's because on MySpace, I saw they were from Milwaukee. I liked their music. And then they became the first band I ever managed. But I hosted them in this loft party first. And then I've known them now more than half my life. But I, um, I wanted to throw these events. Uh, the college presented these spaces from 30,000 capacity, which is Grant Park, to 100 capacity that I could book the events and run these events. And through doing that, because I worked with, um, I had like Flostronomus, I did the Cool Kids, I had um, Crystal Castles, we booked Catch-22 because I loved that band. That was like a personal choice. I even booked like YouTuber sessions with Kelly, which I don't know if you know, like the Kelly, oh my God, shoes, like talking about that. So that gave me a huge platform to meet a lot of different people. And I eventually became Universal Music Group's um, marketing representative for the Midwest region while I was in college. And they offered me a job to end college and just start working for them, but I decided to stay in college. But it was such an experience because then that's when labels were like faltering with the streaming services. It started 
the great picture that I like to paint with that is that we started with like limousines and free clothes and champagne as our Christmas party. Second year was like party bus going to Detroit at a brewery. Third year was like a basket given to us <laughs> to told to go home. Fourth was like, we're all like working from home if because the office is gone and here's like a card that says Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah, whatever. So that's how that kind of started to the crash. Now, of course, the labels are, are coming up a little bit again and they're, they're finding their place in the world. Um, but that was that experience in Chicago. And as I graduated, I was like, no, I wanna do something different. I love live music, I wanna stay in live music. And I had been booking a lot of bands and artists from the Windish Agency, which is now Paradigm. But Tom Windish only had six or seven Booking agents at the time was really small, but basically Chicago was cool and smart. And I think Milwaukee could do this too. The uh, Windish was booking all the artists. Pitchfork was then writing about all the artists and Biz3 was um, the PR for those artists. So together they were creating these mini indie darlings that turned into bigger stars. And that was like, at the time I, I was working with Flying Lotus, Theophilus London, um, these are at the beginnings of their careers, Animal Collective, um, Matt and Kim, like just all, any, anybody you can imagine, they all still have careers. But there's only six of us above a Sprint store and I was the in-house tour manager, uh, agency associate new person. It was my first real paid job in music. Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, I was like, I always wanna live in New York City and I was trying to find a way so after a couple of years, I had created relationships with the managers and I loved the band Cut Copy, which was like a huge a really dance band. underrated band. That's a yeah, well, underrated band. I think it was the late, like late aughts, I guess it was, they were really big for a moment there. And, and that's when I was into it. It was like the dance scene of LCD and the Rapture and Cut Copy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then I kept bothering the manager and I was like, hey, I saw you need another manager. Like, I'd love to try it. Here's all my credentials. And he was like, you can only have this job if um, Tom Windish says it's okay. And Tom was not super happy. Um, he thought he took it personal. And then after he realized I just didn't want to be a booking agent because I don't like sitting at a desk very often. Um, he then let me go as long as I helped open the New York office for Windish. And of course, Windish exploded and became Paradigm. Um, so I did that and that's what brought me to New York City. And I work with I, who I will call the best manager in the world, Neil Harris at uh, Punk to Funk Music is the, is the label who now has Sophie Tucker, um, had always had Scissor Sisters. And when I was there, it was Cut Copy, Dragonette, Free Energy and Architecture in Helsinki. And that's where I learned all of my skills of management. Neil is a legend. He's never put down. He's always innovative. He's got great relationships. He's super old school meetings, in-person phone. I'm not a texter. I'm definitely a phone person. So we got on so well um, and really brought this management company. I mean, it was already great and like made it bigger. Um, so we did really well. And I was there in New York City for several years, rocking that. And Neil was about to make me partner. I believe that was what was on the table. But I was 26 at the time. And I realized I hadn't seen the world. Um, 
and I needed to see the world. Everybody had like, I work, I'm always a workhorse. Like I've always want to work and like take it to the next level. And that I was missing my like exploration and like my life. If you don't mind me asking, what sign are you? I'm a Capricorn. Dude, so am I. Oh my God. I was wondering like, is she a Capricorn? Because she sounds kind of like me. <laughs> like yeah, just you, work, work, work. You work, work, work. And the ambition never stops. You always are thinking about like, okay, even when I get this done, what's going to be the next thing? What's the next thing is such a Capricorn thing. Very um, but you know what? I didn't want to, I didn't want to anymore. <laughs> they, uh, they put a, uh, I got, I had my own office and it had like a pullout bed in it. And that was starting to get a little much where I was going on the road with these bands. And then I was um, putting out huge releases independently because people were getting away from labels. So I was the record label and the manager. So I decided, um, I found this program about New Zealand that if you're under the age of 30, you can go and work there for a year. It's like a treaty between US and New Zealand. And so I thought, hey, that sounds kind of interesting and different. Um, and I like did it. But at the time I had a band called IE Paint in New York that was doing super well. I was also dating, which was quite an achievement for New York City at the time for me. Um, and I was about to make partner at this company. So my life was pretty great. Um, and yeah, I paint was going to be signed to universal. We got offered and all this stuff, but New Zealand called and was like, Hey, <laughs> you got three months to come here, mate, or your visa is going to expire. We hope you see you soon. And I was like, and I like woke up one morning at 6am. I watched the life aquatic, which I had never seen before at the time, which is like a perfect movie for me. Sharks, come on, Jacques Cousteau parody, great. And I just was like, you know what? I need to do the next page. And um, and I like literally a month later, I busted a move to New Zealand. Just, I, I didn't know anyone there except from like one person from Serato because I, I DJ a lot as an actual DJ performer. I've DJed at Lollapalooza. I was the resident DJ at the Soho House in New York. I like, I'm a DJ. So Serato gave me a free uh, rig um, for the States, which I still have today. I love it so much. Um, so she was the only person I knew and I just bounced to New Zealand and um, became a woofer, which means you work in exchange for um, food and um, accommodation. You work on organic farms. I went to this remote island um, called Great Barrier Island and um, there's a population 300 in winter in New Zealand, which is when I went. And the guy was like, yeah, so in 14 days, I'll pick you up from the ferry. And so I had to count like one, two, three, four, or 14. And I was like, how will you know it's me? And he was like, oh, I will know. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> okay, word. And this guy just rocked off to the boat. And he looked like he was sunblasted. He's wearing a trench coat. He had a few teeth. He was super uh, lovely and he just like ran to me and he was like are you from Broadway <laughs> <laughs> and like awesome. picked me up and I like lived on this remote island for a good long while like trimming like um, pruning vineyards and um, growing food and um, like making wine and um, hanging out with these resourceful kids and going to the pub with them as well and having some fun so playing some music and um was there much like like what was like sort of the um the economy like on this remote island like um like were there was it kind of just like 
um, like a small little village or like how was how did it look in a civilization way? Yeah, there's no like town or anything. Like town, town is, of course, there's an Irish pub somehow on every remote island in every place in the world. So there is an Irish pub. Um, and then there's like these little social clubs. There's no, there's like a general, one general store, um, but mostly people grow their own food, weed, wine, whatever um, that they need. And then whatever's missing or faltering, they order and it comes in on the barge in which that I traveled from the mainland. Oh, sure. Okay. So, less than a settlement really it's i got you island for sure wow i i know that greenland villages are sort of like that too where like if you need certain goods or services that um you know may not be provided by these very remote settlements they travel basically by like plane like they, they it's like a almost like a plane taxi sort of thing they do um which is you know like i I don't, i've always wanted to go to greenland i don't know about you but that's one place i would love to see one day well that's on my list because one of my other passions is to do arctic research so eventually in my life sometime i will do that yeah one of the most remote places in the world and it's just all ice and rock it sounds fantastic to me oh, yeah there you well, go I was supposed to do three months of radio in um, Kaktovik, which is uh, in the northern regions of Alaska, to work with polar bears. Um, so that's all my jam. That kind of stuff is my jam. But because of the pandemic, um, there was no reason to have me there because it was for permits, uh, like just to regulate people around polar bears and protect people from polar bears. But they're, they weren't letting any people near polar bears. I don't know, maybe the polar bears will get COVID. I, and there's not a lot of them. I'm not sure what the reason, but I'm I'm okay with it and hope that I get to protect people and revel in those animals um, while doing radio for 88.9 next year. Yeah, that's quite a juxtaposition, <laughs> but like a very niche one. And I guess that's a good, you left off on New Zealand and like how, when you had just gotten to the island. Yeah, so I did this kind of work and I and I traveled, I walked almost like the entire length of New Zealand. I did a bunch of hiking and hitchhiking and walking on volcanoes and active ones, in fact. Um, uh, Fakatane, which was in the news not too long ago, is active volcano that did go off and unfortunately did um, kill some people. That was an interesting one that I got to go to before that, but they did say at any point this thing could go off. So New Zealand doesn't have a lot of red tape. Um, so adventure is high. The adventure marker is, is high and dangerous, and that is my jam. Yeah. So I was in New Zealand, and, and Neil, um, Neil, who I mentioned before in New York, said he knew one person in all of New Zealand and that I should meet him. And he said, Scott, this guy, Scott, he, um, he works in music there. You should have a coffee with him. And I was like, I don't want to do anything with music. Because I was also, my job was open for a year that I could come back within a year and have my same job in New York. He said, fine, go travel, explore. I'll take a break too. Sure. Um, and which is great and wonderful that that can happen. But um, yeah, I met Scott and he was like, I have this young artist, she's gonna blow up. Please help me, you're the only one with pop management experience. And I said, no, I'm on vacation, I'm taking a break. I just need to, you know, hang out in these uh, on these hikes and volcanoes and just be on a boat or whatever. 
Um, but he called, he kept calling me and then eventually, you know, money was running out and I love New Zealand and I was like, fine, I will work for you for six months. And that of course ended up being Lord. So basically from day of release of music to the end of the pure heroin run. So two, two years or so I was working with Lord on her exodus from zero to a million. And we were all just I was supposed to be consulting on how to run a management company, but instead became a manager because it just went, it blew up so quickly. Um, and as a default, I became a resident of New Zealand, a permanent resident of New Zealand because um, of shortage skills list, because of age, because of race, because of everything. They have a point system there. And um, and that was, that was just an adventure in itself. I don't really even know what to say about it other than, um, it was just uh, the ultimate like kind of pop star experience, like the kind of the jackpot for managers. I felt a little disheartened because I felt like I won the video game already. I got the artist, they blew up, it happened. This um, was, did this all happen in 2013? Like, yeah. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, so, so we did that for a couple of years. I also had other artists, Parson James, who I, who I helped um, develop in songwriting and take to different producer spots. Parson James is regularly on New Music Friday for Spotify and on the, on the pop charts. Cool. And then this other artist, Thompson, who is an incredible young, ambitious artist, uh, lesser known, but I'm so sure will pop up on the charts sometime soon um, that I toured the world with. Uh, and is just an incredible, incredible young man. Um, it's kind of like an R&B, but just a beautiful voice. Um, he would hate this comparison because he does not like Troy Sivan, but Troy Sivan stole Thompson, Thompson's persona, essentially. So yeah, I think Troy Sivan had a crush on Thompson and then just like stole his image. <laughs> so, but that's the most relatable thing to, to Thompson that I could, he'll be so mad if I, he'll be mad to know that I said that. Um, but so I did that and then I decided, okay, well, I was only supposed to be doing this for six months. We've won the video game. What's next? And, um, I ended up being, um, what then, what now be, has become Live Nation New Zealand. I was the tour, I was the person who would take artists who'd come in and be their tour manager for Australasia. So I had Justin Bieber, for a second, because I combined him with Ray Schrimmer. He came to do his like acoustic situation and I got to um, teach Justin Bieber some life skills, which was fun. Um, <laughs> That's cool. Some hip hop skills. I call them life skills, but they were hip hop skills. Um, and then uh, Ray Schrimmer and Courtney Barnett, loveliest, loveliest. Uh, oh, yes. um, also Odessa, who I love. Um, Odessa's awesome. I mean, I they're. Odessa was like one of the first like EDM sort of artists I really got into like six years ago, maybe. They're real artists, those two. They're like real artists. They're not just the EDM. They are like ethereal thinkers in the maximum capacity. After spending some time with them, it was, it's pretty amazing. Um, and then I, I ended up being the tour manager who would take these artists out of New Zealand and Australia. So I did Marlon Williams and Stella Donnelly. And then that connected me with Secretly Canadian. So they would steal me as the conduit for any international artists. So, um, so Jamila Woods I did in the States. 
and their manager, Sherrod Smith, is one of my like oldest mentors. In fact, we worked together at Columbia College. Um, and then I got offered Porridge Radio's tour, but of course the pandemic happened and I'm at 88.9, so I wouldn't have taken it. But, um, but it was really, it's really nice to be connected in those ways. Um, when, well, when Lord like blew up, cause she's, I think she's my age or she might be a year younger than me, but she was like 16 when she blew up. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you think about like being so young entering the music industry? Like, and, uh, entering the, the the mainstream like pop sphere like at that young of an age like like because I know I mean I know you had to learn a lot of things early on too like when you said you were 13 you learned all the ins and outs of like the local stuff but on a national international scale I imagine that's like so intimidating for a teenager yeah I mean it was very intimidating for her lucky for her she had other peers that took her under her wing um, although that might have benefited those peers, um, I don't want to oust her because she did good things for 88.9, but I don't particularly love that pop artist. But, um, but she took Ella under her wing and really helped her navigate that space. Um, I would say that I do worry, though, no matter what, about um, artists who are young or artists, artists at any young level enter into stardom to that level because... Ella's unique, or Lord is unique in that she entered not at like fame level, like Benny level. She is like, she went to legend level right away. She was meeting Bowie. She was meeting like Tilda Swift. She was meeting peep legends and they were talking to her and giving her advice, um, which was so accommodating and so lovely. Um, I worry about that because, you know, I think artists sometimes forget when they're on such a high that there is always a lull there's always going to be a lull. You're not always going to be in the frame of attention. I do think, however, Lord has a really good head on her shoulders to be smart enough to know that. But there is men- mental health issues. doesn't matter how big of an artist you are, or how small of an artist. It's about getting attention and then it going away and how they deal with that. My thing when I have an artist that gets to that level is I worry about the people around them because the people around them will tell them no matter what, you're great, you're amazing, that song you just made was awesome, everything's great, which makes your self-awareness on your quality of what you're doing and who you are as a person very skewed. And that can happen to artists for the rest of their lives, which is why there's a lot of mental health issues and things. So for me, as an artist manager, I'm pretty protective and very real with those people you become their best friend, their babysitter, their mom, their dad, their confidant. You become everything, their business manager, everything in between. Um, and you have to be real with them because mental health is a huge part of where that creativity comes from and who you are as a person. It's so considerate. So that is my, my only concern with that. But I think so far, Ella, I haven't connected with her as much lately, um, so like since that term, because for me, it was really, she'll check, she'll check. She checks in now when I see her in New Zealand, um, but she seems like she's got a very good head on her shoulders from what I can tell. And she's she's currently um, now with Crush Management, which I think is excellent. And they're a great group of people taking care of her. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fantastic. I, yeah, it's it's so like kind of surreal hearing like this, you know, personal testimony with an artist that I remember like singing like Royals when it first came out in my high school English class and like you know like you you know worked so closely with her for a period of time like 
yeah i mean i think i mean her and her second album i i, I really love them i'm looking forward to uh seeing how she continues moving into just continues like moving and building off of her like avant pop sound that you know is is uh definitely like the way of a lot of pop artists right now but it's but you know it's lord when you hear it for sure really quick too i have to mention joel little because that first record is 50 percent his and he was the producer of all of those tracks and that was a very lord sound so half of that sound is joel little who has gone on to be an incredible producer and he's moved to la and and also Josh Fountain, amazing producer with other artists in New Zealand, who's now doing the Benny stuff that's going off the charts. Shout out also. We'll um, keep moving forward. So um, you're talking about like uh, after New Zealand, what started happening after New Zealand. Yeah. So touring, just touring bands constantly. But also I was um, a little bored for a second. Mm-hmm. And my friend uh, Daisy... Um, But yes, uh, Daisy is this amazing um, friend of mine in New Zealand and she works in film. And she was like, there's this this movie called The Meg that's being made and it's about sharks and they need someone to help out with the the shark movement and and what that looks like. And then like maybe help out with some other random things. You want this job? It's like 1500 New Zealand dollars a week. I was like, yes, I want this job. This sounds amazing. I've never worked in film. I never thought I would ever work in film. Although music videos are why I'm in music, like obsessed with music videos. That's how I got hooked to music. so I took the job and I, I ended up um, like sitting in a room with editors and um, visual effects and talking about how the shark would theoretically move. Um, and then they were like, we like you. Do you want to just stick around and be like the data wrangler and, and like pick up the data card and bring it back every day? And I was like, yes. And I ended up meeting um, Osborne, Ruben Osborne, who is the creator of like Lord of the Rings and all this, but I, he just kept saying he knew a girl named Aisha and I was like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And somehow that turned out uh, into an offer for me because I was American. Because I don't know if you guys know this, but like for films, they physically, you have a person who physically holds onto the film and gets a seat on the airplane. You have to look at it the whole time and then deliver it to the studio. So he offered me that to do that. (laughs) And so I got a free ticket home for, for, uh, for Christmas and the holidays and um, did that. And they had like a car that picked me up and like took me to the studio. And then they gave me a hotel room and I hung out in LA for a little bit. And then, um, um, and then hung out uh, in Milwaukee for the holiday. Uh, and so that was my first film job, which then evolved into another one, which is I love horror movies. I love horror film so much. And I started as an art department person, random person for Ash vs. Evil Dead, which is a great TV series following 30 years later on Evil Dead, the cult classic horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, and then something happened to the props buyer, um, props master assistant, and they asked, they just liked my attitude. They're like, do you want to be the props master assistant, props buyer? And I was like, absolutely. And I ended up making things like um, bongs and like being the resident American to say like what a milk jug would look like or what words they would use in a high school or something. Um, I made 
33 different types of blood, um, like weapons. I bought like sickles and bayonets and things. And then we made cast like things of it. It was like the most fun job I ever had. Cause I just love horror walking through these sets we, there's like a whole town that they created in indoors. Um, we had like 10 of the same car that he has and they would go through different scenarios. It was just so fun to like play with all that stuff. Yeah. And then that evolved into like going I wanted to go back to the States. I, I missed being home in the new election at the time was the new election. Um, I wanted to go back and like be with my family and friends and kind of like fight the good fight. And um, so I went to New York and I ended up doing props mastering again for commercials for like Chase Bank and all that stuff, which was disheartening. And then um, got offered another job at Netflix in LA um, for atypical and I did a, a season or two of atypical um, doing art like I don't know this is a fun thing to know is like for the artwork all the names are this like the crew and so like there was a police station um, a police station scene and we made all these like wanted posters and I was like wanted for triple homicide like other ones were murder you know robbery it's so much fun and then I made like the lockers and the lockers all the kids like with their boyfriends or whatever yeah. <laughs> their motivational posters and their pendants and stuff so super fun um and then I was like okay I want to go to Alaska for some reason I just wanted to go to Alaska and uh, I had a friend in Port Townsend, Washington, which is closer to Alaska and where a lot of boats go off. Mm -hmm. um, and she let me stay there for a while and I got a call to be a chef on a boat and I am a terrible cook. So I was like, no, I don't know if I could do this. I don't know if I could do this. I don't know about this. Um, and then I was like, never mind. I really want to go to Alaska and I'm going to be living on a boat for a few months. How cool is that? So I like practice cooking for like a few months. <laughs> oh yeah, what'd you, what'd you get started with? Well, my, fr I, my friend I lived with at the time was vegan. So I started with the vegan stuff and like, oh, yeah. like vegan pastas and things. And then I went to stuffed shells and then I went to like uh, salmon and like poached halibut and like, and I got really, fan I'm already a good baker though. I'm good at making baked treats. So like I did like all kinds of like saffron cookies and all this stuff and pies homemade pies and oh my god do you make a mean pie i make a really amazing pie um you can was... <laughs> it's really good <laughs> try an aisha pie sometime i will i will make a pie for you i i definitely just made an apple pie because our friend's orchard we picked all the apples and oh, sure, yeah. do it i mean what we're in what else am i gonna do and it's october i mean it's time for pie. You gotta like add the fat to your body right now because you're gonna burn it in the, in the cold that's to come. Certainly. Um, so, but imagine doing that all on a boat that's rocking, you know? Oh yeah. So, yeah. so I found out that my job wasn't just to be the chef, I was also the deckhand. And then the captain was the marine biologist in the world for gray whales and the skipper was a land biologist. So I actually learned all these like science, um, all this like ecological and science facts about the regions of the Tongass forest. Cause we went through the inside passage of Canada up to Alaska um, and, and every, every small place you could ever think of that you would have to fly in or boat into. And we saw bears and orcas and humpbacks and wolves and every animal you could think of from the boat. 
um, and I learned everything about them. And I became an emergency bear guide because they needed someone to get on the raft and protect the the people who got on this boat. So the boat, the people who were on this boat were explorers, people who liked uh, vacationing as explorers. So it was a 12 person boat, a wooden boat that fit through these small, small paths. We also saw glaciers, calving, all this stuff. So I learned safety, how to navigate that, taking rafts through that, guiding people through with bears, like how to use a rifle and bear spray, all and how to drive the boat sometimes as well. So I kind of became a catch-all. What what so what would you say? Like what's the number one rule if you have an encounter with a bear in the wild? Um is not to run. Because they run 40 miles per hour, so you will lose. Um and not to turn your back on them. So you're supposed to use a calm voice, put your hands in the air and say, hey bear, ho bear. And if they charge at you, then you want to put the bear spray or just yell really loudly and become big like, hey bear, ho bear. Yeah, <laughs> damn. Wow, okay. So actively like kind of engaging your attention with the bear rather than fleeing it. Yes, yes. Good to know. Yes. <laughs> I Good can get more in depth lesson later if you want <laughs> yeah sure for sure well uh yeah if i find myself in uh those coniferous forests um i'll you'll be the first one i talk to um so yeah you were a bear safety guide you were a deckhand um so this was this was like and this is in the more recent years at this point this is like the last like Couple, two or three years three years yeah mm -hmm. sure so I ended up, you know, the thing they talked about all the time is the salmon run and how people make a lot of money in the salmon cycle and how beautiful the salmon cycle is. Like the salmon die on their own upstream, but they feed the eagles and the bears and the people. And um, and they talked about salmon commercial fishing and how much money you could make doing that, like crazy money. And that it was like a huge part of Alaskans that that's where they make all their money is those three months of summer. Mm -hmm. So I ended up in Kodiak Island, um, where the largest bears in the world were, because I wanted to try it. I wanted to try salmon fishing at, from a scientific standpoint. Um, and there was a three week roll like opening. And I was like, that's a perfect amount of time to see if this is something I want to do. Um, and I also wanted to be near the largest bears in the world and check those out too. So I did it on the smallest, crappiest, boat ever with no safety i know there was no safety raft and no survival suits and our captain was wild um and he would go like to the last minute so basically there's openings you'd have like 72 hours where you go out and you don't sleep and you continuously fish every 30 minutes you're doing massive physical labor um and i had like one of the my duties is called um there's corks and then there's the lead lines and i had the lead line which is the heavy line that you pull in and there's like fish caught to things and you bring in thousands of fish up in like a purse net, mm. you dump them in um, and you're, you sleep for two hours and then you get coffee and you just keep going. And like what happens is the fish come into the, they come into where your sleep space is and you smell like fish and you, the scales, you have to like pick them off of you with your fingernails and you have to shit in a bucket or and piss off the side of the boat and you might die at any point because the waves are like this and you're holding on to the net hoping not to fall in <laughs> it's really wild i actually really liked it it was crazy fun but the safety factor was like low so i decided not to stay doing it but yeah. it was an adventure <laughs> yeah no kidding um 
yeah. Uh, that sounds like uh, what would be ranked in a, one of the more dangerous occupations to have. It's probably in Dirty Jobs. It's probably in that show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, uh, harvesting uh, these wild and uh, out of control fish. I mean, yeah, that, that sounds, that's, that's some true off the grid shit. Yeah, well, and then I was like, I love Kodiak. I want to stay here in this wild place. And someone was looking for a chef. And I had I had the chef skills now, but I had nowhere to live. And it was this wild um, woman who owned this place called The Rendezvous in Kodiak. And she was like, well, I have this trailer attached to the bar. You want to live there for the summer and just be a chef? And I was like, all right, and stayed there um for a good long while until I had a tour set up with Stella Donnelly later on so and I became a bear guide on the side with uh one of the regular uh the regulars at the bar um who Dale he's like 84 years old he's an ex-sniper he's the most jovial man <laughs> he's probably got like 10 girlfriends like girlfriends who love love him uh so Dale I know Dale's my, my unofficial my guy friend. Dale <laughs> But this kind of uh, aroused my like interest in like uh, wildlife conservation work and and real conservation work is living in these spaces and working on these boats and like um, they're working with different science types who are in in that area because it's mostly scientists and like conservation workers and stuff out in Kodiak and then it has the largest um, Coast Guard base it also has a NASA base in there and it's a very strange island. Um, oh, real quick question. So this is where my nerdness. Uh, comes out. Um, so I'm a bird nerd. Oh, yes. I bird watch. Um, uh, I imagine you saw like a lot of like puffins and terns and like uh, maybe some uh, like a lot of various types of seagull um, out there. Yeah, there's actually a program out there because of that Gulf spill, um, the Exxon Mobile spill out in Alaska, where we go when I, if we fast forward to me as a park ranger, like one of the programs is going out in a boat in these routes and counting all of those seabirds, um, which there's a lot of um, bird bird programs out in Kodiak for that reason, puffins oh, especially, terns especially. Um, so many there are so many so if you're a bird nerd like kodiak's like a really good spot to go for the birds i would love to uh to experience that for sure like yeah like i know that there's some species of bird that are so endangered that they're like they get tagged in the wild like california condors mm -hmm. like they were as low as like 35 at one point like 20 years ago and you see any of them in the wild they have a tag on them yeah that's what they do with the turns in kodiak as well and then we did um bird uh netting where you like see how many are there count the species make sure that it's like starting to flourish yeah for sure yeah totally so you are a park ranger um uh, let's hear about that yeah so after that wild stint of of wild west kodiak i like went on tour with Stella Donnelly 40 dates, went back to New Zealand, came back to Milwaukee because my dad had unfortunately had gotten cancer. So it brought me back to Milwaukee, which is when I volunteered for 88.9 um, because I'd always been listening to the station and thought it was amazing. In fact, as an A&R person, I would listen to 88.9 to see like, what's the next thing coming up? 
Mm -hmm. So I decided for my sanity in that hard time to like volunteer at 88.9. And that's when I met um, Ken Semka and I met um, Jordan and Bizon. And I think that was, those were the main people that I met at the time and like really connected with. Um, I got connected with the station, but after my dad passed, I got offered that boat job again to go be a chef for the whole season and also got offered a park ranger job in Kodiak where I had, had been the chef and bear guide. And I thought that was so cool. Those are like coveted jobs that are really hard to get. And I thought this was a good thing to like with my mind and like ease my, ease my mind and um, let me heal and also start diving into a possible career in conservation. And um, it was wild. The first month of is training. And one of the trainings is how to an escape, how to escape a float plane crash in several different ways. So they throw you in a simulator into the water, underwater, in your seatbelt, and you have to get out in under a certain amount of seconds in several different scenarios. And that's a certificate. And then rifle training is a certificate and bear spray is a certificate. And um, the history of the Department of the Interior and plant ID and bird ID, those are all part of your training, which is so cool, you know? Um, it's more sounds like fun. I mean, it was just like fun. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Like I'm part of those like plant ID groups on Facebook. And uh, yeah, it's it's cool to have a resource like that where there's this global community of plant enthusiasts that can identify something that might be growing outside your house like instantaneously. Um, good skill to have, definitely. Um, yeah, my parents are former garden center owners. So cool. like, luckily I learned uh, the plants not to uh, rub up against from an early age. That's good. I just got my Wisconsin plant and um, bird books so I can oh, dope. start IDing all that stuff um, when I can walk again. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, so did that. Um, and it was mostly a bear guide and like did oh. maintenance on um, like huts that we have for uh, people to reserve for recreation and basically working for Fish and Wildlife Service. So that meant we're protecting the land and resources um, for the wildlife uh, and the people to enjoy. And I also worked at the visitor center and taught kids once a week um, wildlife skills like navigating in the wild and plant ID and um, like certain parts of conservation and how to do that, which was super fun. And my program was called Wild. Uh, and then I went into the um, native populations within the island and uh, did bear safety with them and learned from them as well and made sure that they had all the resources that they needed. Um, it was such a blast. You lived with like 12 other people in these like bunkers who were either doing bird work or plant work or maintenance. It was just, it was a really fun experience um, and worked with the salmon too, the salmon populations, making sure that was going okay. Um, so it was wild. Also, I really love the outfits. I got to keep all the outfits I have a pilot outfit, I have a boat outfit, I have a winter outfit, I have a summer outfit. It looks exactly like you would imagine. All of them look like cartoon outfits. <laughs> it's pretty oh, fun. That's that's awesome. That's um that's good to hold on to, you know, like if you're like entertaining, you know, having some friends over and something like, hey guys, look, look what I got in my closet. <laughs> 
That's fun. It's also fun to scare people in those outfits. Like if they're doing something bad, like if I know someone's taking fish, they shouldn't, I would just like put it on and like show up. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Yeah. I put three scary. <laughs> this is a catch and release doc. Yes. Um, but that's, you know, I did that for a while. And then that's when I, Joe Tomchek actually showed me the posting at 88.9 about uh, needing a radio host and a promotion. Can we, can we just shout out Joe Tom, Joe Tomchek, uh, yeah. real quick? He's one of my favorite people in the music scene. He's one of like just the kindest, sweetest dudes, and uh, I love Paper Holland very much. And I'm very grateful for Joe Tomchek, Tomchek, for just being so such a ray of sunshine. Yeah, he is a ray of sunshine that needs to come back to Milwaukee. It's snowing where you are. Come back. <laughs> yeah honestly like what are you doing <laughs> um yeah so joe was like hey is this the listing that you know was because there was like a little talk about it um within the company about you know they really wanted me to work there and i was like cool well if something comes up you know just let me know and i i saw the posting and i reached out to someone at 88.9 and i was like is this the thing that you wanted me to apply for and they were like yes and um and I did, and I went through the process just like everybody else. Um, but it was funny interviewing with the whole company in my at my ranger station in my ranger outfit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is funny. And I think there was some excitement about having a woman and a, a woman of color and someone with an outside perspective of Milwaukee who loves Milwaukee but hasn't been there for a while and maybe could come shake some things up because my whole reason for working at 88.9 and coming back to Milwaukee, a big part of it is my goal was to desegregate the city through arts and music because the fact that I left it at a young age and it was still, it's still exactly the same really upsets me. Um, and I lived in many different sections of Milwaukee uh, starting on the north side. So it, um, that's a hard thing. And I also got offered a, a job alongside of that um, organizing the local on the ground music for the DNC, which of course did not happen, but would have been a huge help in the goal that I had. Um, and I still want to achieve that. And I'm still trying to find ways to do that. So I got the job at 88.9, as you know. <laughs> Here you are. And I came back. Um, and now, of course, and, and honestly, you know, it, it's kind of, it's a little disheartening because I know the people at 88.9 are beautiful, wonderful people, um, but I've not been able to really build relationships interpersonally with them because it was really a few months and it was all winter months, busy months for the people at 88.9, as you know, if, as you may have interviewed them, they oh. we are so busy to the point where we don't have time for even each other sometimes. And, and it's because we're all so passionate about what we do. We want to achieve all the positivity that we can, but it made it so that I really don't um, have the strongest relationships, but we're all working together as best we can in this pandemic, regardless of that. So I have that disadvantage of coming in only a few months before a pandemic in the winter. Um, but I like love being a part of a team that represents what it does, positivity and focusing and highlighting on all the good things in Milwaukee. But I really do want to make a difference um, 
And I'm trying to because 414 Live is the program I've inherited, um, which lifts the voice of Milwaukee artists. Um, I didn't want there to be not a program in place of it because there's a pandemic. I don't think there's ever a reason to stop doing anything because of anything. Um, regardless of what it is, I feel like there's always a positive way to integrate um, something, especially giving a platform for artists to lift their voices and to really get real and vulnerable because we're all in this together. And I think the more real we get, the more connected we get. And so 414 Live Variety Hour, I wanted to do something different than a live stream because I feel like live streams are exhausting. Um, I also feel like artists don't get to showcase the best of themselves on a live stream because um, you could you never know what's happening at that moment. Um, so we did the variety hour, which is like you get to do one song and um, also like every creative is not just a musician, they do other things. And so they get to showcase another side of themselves. And we've had anything from people making pasta from scratch to talking about the history of soul, uh, soul food through music um, to um, talking about social justice and activism. And everybody talks about how they've been navigating this time creatively, which is just so interesting, even, even for me. And I'm starting to integrate more people. I want to know more Milwaukee characters. I'm going to have Charlie Barons on in November. I'm really excited about that because um, he's, he's a legend. Um, and, and we've got all, I mean, I feel like I've learned a lot about the music here and it's been very diverse and I want to know more of the musicians as we continue to do this. So, um, it's been a lot of fun. That is so dope, Aisha. I love your philosophy with, um, making it a safe space for musicians to be human and, you know, like not just simply be defined as like a musician, that happens to make music that we like or is catchy or you connect with whatever, but also that like, yeah, like really peering into like, just like how they define themselves as a creative based on like the several different mediums they might do as a whole. And also just how they see themselves like in relation to their community, how they perceive the Milwaukee music scene and what everything is we could really like build out of this gold mine of a scene if we did, as you said, continue to desegregate it uh, even on a cultural level. Well, um, yeah. Who they are as a person is so important. And I feel like people don't ask that ever in interviews and that's the thing that I like to ask you do this is exactly what you're doing you're going in it and, and I'm a good example of of that and I think that's what gives me the perspective because I am an artist as well like I DJ as DJ Jaffe Jeff and then in New Zealand I'm I there's this there's this um soda in New Zealand that the tagline is world famous in New Zealand it's called L&P so that's that's my music premiere. I'm world famous in New Zealand as as ducks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's that's actually a good segue to talk a little bit about skucks. So, yeah, um, you want to talk a little bit about the project itself and how it originated? Yeah. So skucks originated as a joke of us talking about the word skucks and the history of the word skucks in New Zealand. Skuck. Skucks is a, a slang term. It means playa, gangsta, holla. <laughs> oh, sure. Which is funny. It's and actually it's a term. 
named after a specific All Blacks player, which is a rugby player, which is big in New Zealand. Um, uh, not Ananu, I think is his name. Um, and so me and a bunch of buddies were just sitting around and we're like, why don't we just make a band and, um, and we'll call it Skucks. And we did, we practiced for six hours. We asked our friend who owns a venue if we could play that night and we did. <laughs> and, um, and then I wanted to like do it for real. I was like, well, this is actually fun. And so I flew to New York. Um, I have a buddy who's Australian who lives in New York. His name is Dan Walker. And he's in the band, The Death Set, which is a big Ninja Tune band. They're a punk electronic band. They toured with Santa Gold. They toured with all the greats. Um, and I, I love his stuff. So him and I decided to make Skucks real. And we um, made a couple tracks and just to see how it went. And without even telling anyone about it, somehow Vice picked it up and took it from my personal Instagram and like posted about Skucks, the project. And so we were like, okay, well, I guess this is a real thing now. And we gotta make it, we gotta make it. We're some- too legit to quit. <laughs> And that song, the song that, the first song that became like a single, because I just released them both at the same time. And I, and I feel bad, I'm a revenge queen, because the one song called More Than 10 Things on that double uh, A side was a, a revenge queen song to my ex. And it played every half hour on the half hour in the city that we lived in, in New Zealand. I felt so bad. You couldn't um, escape the song. <laughs> but... <laughs> But everywhere else in New Zealand chose the other song. So like it felt bad, but it was number one for nine weeks in New Zealand, the track on her way on that double A side called the two sides of she. And then um, we wanted to make an EP, but we were separated for such a long time. And finally I released an EP that had a US release and a New Zealand release last year. And it was featured on, I mean, throughout the history of Skucks, we've been featured on Nylon, and we've been featured on Vice, and we've been featured on Impose, and I had a full-page spread in Frankie Magazine, which is a huge um, magazine down in Australia. Um, it's gotten a lot of, you know, press, and, it, and it's super fun. Um, I haven't been able to tour on it um, yet, but, you know, Milwaukee, I'm looking for a band for Skucks, so if you want to be in my band, I'm not joking. Let's be in a band together. <laughs> I heard it here, folks. But it's a punk indie band. Dan and I write the music, but I'm open to writing with other people. It's so much fun. I, now that I've been in Milwaukee for a year, I haven't played any music and, and boy, do I miss it. Um, I am a beast on stage. I will jump on the rafters and stuff. It's so much fun. And Dan Walker is too. If you, if you are familiar with the death set, you'll know that it's the energy is not 11, it's 22 or something like that. Oh, and the concept of the last EP is cooties in Latin. And there's all these videos that go, go along with it. And I felt bad that the pandemic happened because it's called, it's like, how to get rid of cooties, which, you know, cooties is a virus. And so that wasn't planned, but there is a whole, eight video series of how to get rid of cooties if you want help <laughs> yeah. wow well yeah uh i guess we have um something a little different than cooties on our hands this year <laughs> yes but um but yeah it's a great ep i listened to it before uh um before we started recording here and um on her ways like that's my favorite song on the on that record and uh yeah, I, I imagine like it would be a very like rambunctious, but also energetic and, you know, just uh, a party show. 
Um, and I can think of so many different venues in Milwaukee, like Cactus Club or even High Dive, because the shows at High Dive get pretty wild sometimes, like X-Ray Arcade also, where Skucks would play killer shows. So I hope to see uh, some Skucks uh, on the ground here in the 414 in the future. Absolutely. I need that band. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'll be sharing this episode a lot. Uh, and uh, hopefully people see your little ad here. Um, so what do you, uh, are, are you work actively like working on new music now? You know, that's my plan. I've actually, um, I wanted to get, I had some ailments, like I tore my ACL and, and had some injuries that I had to get through. Um, but I moved into an apartment a couple months ago and I finally set up all the, I have a bunch of guitars and I've got a synth I didn't know I had. I've got a pedal board I didn't know I had. All this stuff that I, you know, every time I tour, I would just drop it off at my parents' house. Um, so I have all these instruments and I have my DJ equipment set up. So I'm ready to get creative. So I haven't started, but I've talked to Dan over in New York about starting stuff. I've got something, I've always wanted to make a rap track. So my 2020 goal is to make a rap track. So Luxy sent me some beats. And so I might love Luxy be doing Lux times Skucks with her. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> um, so just got a few things out there and I'm ready to get creative. Nothing, nothing solid yet, but you know, it's coming. Oh, we, we love to see it. When James too, you know, I might, we might try something as well. So that might be fun. That did what? Oh, with James Sour as well. We might do something. Fun. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. Shout out to James. He was here yesterday. He was reclined in his bed against his green wall. <laughs> um, <laughs> as ever <laughs> i was like is that a green screen behind you or like is that just what your room looks like because i'm not most people don't have their room like that type of green but hey whatever works for him yeah um yeah um well quickly uh, i'd also love to hear a little bit about your djing and like uh do you kind of have like um like are you kind of just like more of a freeform dj or do you gravitate towards like a specific kind of like what you like to play um, I'm pretty open, but it has to be like, as long as fun is in the, in the title of what we're doing, I'm all about it. Um, you know, my history is DJing was, like I said, I was residency at Soho house. I did Lollapalooza. Um, I get asked to do Comic-Con, which I like doing themed, uh, themed DJ stuff. So Stranger Things Comic-Con party and, um, Ready Party One are, are some gigs that are, were under my belt, but of course, like, because of COVID, they, they went away. Um, so I like nerd stuff, you know. Um, but mostly I play, so my, my whole thing is I like to play the songs you forgot that you knew all the words to. So for me, DJing is a people watching situation. I love to see joy happen. And I only got to play one set with Dory Zori, shout out to her um, at Mad Planet, which was a lot of fun. We like brought down the house. Um, but I mean, I, I've been asking about gigs in Milwaukee since I got here because I'm so eager but in New Zealand I played four gigs a week um it didn't matter because it just brings me a lot of joy so pretty free form to what like what is happening I'll know about the space ahead of time I'll know the vibe ahead of time but I don't prepare anything I just come in there I see what people like and then I'll throw it on you know yeah oh yeah but I'm not that's a vinyl DJ. That's the thing I used to be, but I like, I, it seems to be a big Milwaukee thing, but man, in the winter, I don't want to carry a bunch of crates anywhere. So I'm definitely a Serato DJ. Sure. I, 
and that's that's okay in this age for sure um one song speaking of songs you forget you knew all the words to it's not necessarily a happy song it's a very like moody and um uh sort of e like soul meets body by death cab for cutie was one of my favorite songs in high school and i like listened to it this summer and for the first time in years and yeah i forgot that like i used to know all those lyrics and used to have that song stuck in my head constantly even though it's not a happy song um being death cat for cutie um but yeah that's just my quick uh that that was what i thought of is that sometimes uh because i feel like i don't really memorize like i don't like know all the words to a lot of pop songs a lot mm -hmm. of it are just really like niche like you know indies or experimental things that i just listen to listen to constantly because i'm the type of person to listen to like the same song over and over and over again but i do the same thing but see isn't that moment special though when you hear that song that you forgot you knew all the words to like that one that like really brought you to a memory because yes. that's so important and that could be anything i've done things from like riot girl parties to like hip hop to whatever. And I, I like know the guy. I like see the guy that goes, oh, and I'm like, ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. never gets old. Never gets old. Um, there are some artists that I think are just like quintessentially Milwaukee. Classic would be one of them. Classic is one of my all time favorites here because that is probably the most genuine to his mission. Um, to the city, like loyalty to the city and talent that I'd love to elevate that voice because I know that voice will trickle down and bring back to Milwaukee um, and also deserves the accelerant of that. In fact, Classic and I were supposed to go on a tour, his very first tour in radio just before this pandemic. And, and I wanna continue to elevate that voice without those opportunities um, and continue to find those people that are, that are there are willing to kind of this is their job, this is their passion, this is their work. Um, they represent the city, like lift them up and have each other lift each other up. Cause I do think there is, um, and I could be wrong cause I'm still learning and I'm learning from a digital perspective, right? Not a physical perspective that there's a lot of artists that feel disconnected and left out. And maybe like, I think fear is the root of all evil. I think sometimes artists are afraid of each other in other scenes. I would like to find a way to have like a, a monthly forum or something where I can get artists from different neighborhoods, different styles and everything together and know that they're accessible and not scary and you can collaborate and you can know each other. And if the more that you're connected as a scene with each other, the more everybody comes up together. So that's kind of my goal to continue to work towards that and however I can as we go deeper and deeper into this new normal, because we don't know what's coming next. Right, normal as we know it will, you know, will not be the normal that we left behind. Sure. Um, and I agree with you 100%. I think it takes, sometimes it does take like, you know, things like those artists that are being recognized outside of the city already to continue like, you know, exploring other markets, other scenes and, uh, you know, bringing those pieces of Milwaukee with them on that journey, on that odyssey, like on the outside and a, a great, a great um, environment to do that in would be like South by Southwest, of course, you know, like we're, 
people are doing that from all over the world, all concentrated in one massive like conference of local music and local initiatives and creatives like on a scale like nothing else. Um, for one, like I think in terms of like live shows, you know, once they're a thing again, once it's safe to to do that, like I do want to see like a lot more, you know, continued bridging of different pockets and different scenes and seeing more mixed genre things. Um, and because uh, I think that like generally like people in Milwaukee like that do music like, you know, people like it's it's a pretty friendly scene from what I've seen, like it's genuinely like mesh well and, and stylistic uh, deviations are negligible usually. Like it's usually just a matter of like, oh, I've heard of you, but I just have never caught your show or like I've never like actually gotten to like, you know, meet you in person, but it's so nice to meet you. Let's like, let's sit down and let's talk sometime or like, let's play more shows together. And yeah. Yeah, to be that person who kind of makes that happen because I know artists and I know not everybody is that forward. I know there's some like definitely amazing artists who are good at that. Classic Webster is so good at that. But there's other artists who, of course, have like social anxieties. It's not easy to kind of be forthright. It's a vulnerable thing for them. So if you can only just bridge that gap for everyone in the same room, we're all on an equal platform. It makes it a lot easier. Oh, yeah. And it's something I aim to do with Mystery Nice Guy Presents. Although, obviously, like, once shows weren't a thing again, I couldn't do it anymore. But once it, once shows are a thing again, I do hope to continue um, that mission on, like, uh, uh, using my own platform and, um, and uh, adapting it into uh, a live music series that I can, you can, that I can, you know, maybe bring some artists I like that I think would be fun on a build together. And uh, I would definitely love to uh, include you in that conversation of like how we might be able to use our, take our ideas and uh, work together on something like that, because I exactly like what you want to do is what I want to do too. Yeah. And the more people who want to do what we want to do, we'll get there faster. No kidding. Aisha, thank you for joining me tonight. Um, had a blast. Um, great to hang out, you know, obviously here, just all of the, you know, like really, you know, unique and eclectic and niche things that you've done in your life, like whether it's, you know, managing Lord or DJing in New York or doing bear safety or being a boat cook. Or, you know, like just being, just doing a lot of this all over the map. Um, it's, you know, I was so like inspired and fascinated hearing your story the first time, like when we first hung out. And, um, and I really appreciate you taking the time to join me again tonight. Um, and uh, I'm excited to keep building the music scene together into something that we've always wanted it to be. So. Absolutely. Milwaukee, hit me up. I want to get to know you. What she said. So as we're closing out, um, uh, tell me what keeps you up at night. <laughs> such a, that's such a spooky question. <laughs> that, uh, I should have prefaced these are the two questions I ask everyone on. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it is the hard hitting one.
Oh, what keeps me up at night? Oh, man. I like scary things, so. Um, what keeps me up at night? Wow, I'm really not ready for that question. I don't think I know the answer to that question. I don't know. What keeps me up at night? Uh, anticipation for big events like the election. Oh, yeah. If you don't vote, that keeps me up at night. Yeah, I, I hear that. Well, here's what's a good horror movie that you have seen recently that you would recommend? Oh, my favorite, most disgusting, gruesome horror film. I love B horror stuff is Peter Jackson's first film ever. It's called Dead Alive in New Zealand or Brain Dead, I think, in America. Oh, yeah. It's, I've seen it. It's, it's kind of campy and funny, but it's, it is pretty gruesome. I love it so much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. P Peter Jackson's early work is underrated. <laughs> um, yeah. One of my recent uh, discoveries is the cult movie Nightbreed. Oh, like, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. That's also pretty gruesome, too. Um, all of those paranormal activity ones freak me out because of the no music the no music thing is, oh yeah. is too hard for me that plays a profound effect into how unsettling the movie is for sure yes. what puts you to sleep oh um just like working hard <laughs> yeah. honestly honestly i fall asleep almost probably five out of seven days with all the lights on and my face on the laptop situation. So Damn, you are a Capricorn. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, I, it's, I, I sometimes fall asleep with my head. Usually like I move the laptop to my bed and like I'll edit like in a reclining position, but sometimes I do put my head down and take like a five minute nap in the middle of editing. So I get that. Get it. Okay. Thank so thank you again, Aisha. This was a lot of fun and uh you're really, really awesome, fantastic human being. Oh, I think the same about you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Um for everyone watching, uh a couple things. First, um if you run into a bear in the wild, what do you do? Hey bear, ho bear. Ho bear, that's right. Um be sure to stream uh the uh the Skucks EP or, uh, that came out a, a, over a year ago. We look forward to what they do next. Um, support 88.9, tune in to um, Station, of course, always, but especially in the 414 live uh, variety hour that Aisha here hosts. And uh, yeah, um, let's keep uh, building um, a bright future for Monkey Music. Thank you again. We'll see you next time.